Welcome to Sound of Symphony, the unofficial symphony podcast. I'm Magnus Nordlander. I'm Tobias Nyholm. I'm Ryan Weaver. And I'm Jared Farish. And we're back again. Uh, this time we barely even needed somebody poking us on Twitter. <laughs> you know, I, I, if you, I wonder how often we would record if we got barraged on Twitter constantly. Probably once a month. Like like regular regularly scheduled once ah, a month. Ah ah, that's uh unless there's there's lots of interesting news happening, like incidentally, and this is just showing off my skills and bridging things. Like incidentally, there was just a couple of days ago. Do you, do you <laughs> yeah, guys know what I'm talking there about? There was plenty or? of news a couple of days ago. <laughs> that's that's true, I suppose. Uh, but uh, you're, you're but I'm talk- talking about something special. You're talking about the announcement of a, the SymphonyCon. That's or, not or what the, I was talking about, okay. but that's interesting too. Uh, we, we should probably talk about that too. Okay. Um, no, I'm talking about uh, Webpack Encore. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Shiny, shiny, shiny. Very shiny, very shiny. Shiny I, uh, and new. Yes. Uh, I, as, I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast. Uh, but I hate front-end development with a vengeance. Uh, I st- try to steer clear of it as much as possible. Uh, but still, even I uh, was very happy to uh, to find out that there's now actually guidelines on how to, um, to to structure your front-end code. Well, sort of guidelines on how to handle your front-end development as Symphony projects. We're gonna so we're gonna try to make a convert out of you, Magnus. That will never succeed. <laughs> So, so Ryan, One day this, this will uh, be a JavaScript podcast. <laughs> this Webpack Anchor, that's pretty much your baby, Ryan. Can, can you tell me what, what it's all about? Yeah, so um, for a long time, we haven't had any official recommendation in Symfony for front-end asset stuff, which is fine because, of course, Symfony is a back-end framework. At the same time, you know, every time you started a project, if you do front-end work, you kind of had to figure it out for yourself. So there was a void there where if you were a Symfony user... You had to figure it out for yourself, and that kind of sucks. So um, there's lots of solutions and ways to take care of this. And actually, let me back up. What I'm talking about here is, is in the simplest sense, how do you combine, process, minify your JavaScript, your SAS, your CSS, that kind of stuff. So basically what Ascetic does, um, but of course, Ascetic is maybe not the best way to do things. It's still fine if you're using it. We wanted to give something a little more modern. So one of the best tools for doing that is Webpack which is a Node.js library, but Webpack is actually really hard to get started in. Um, and so I kind of, I used it in a few projects and it was just a lot of configuration and I would do things wrong and then I would learn from it and then do more things wrong. Um, so we wanted to make that simpler. So basically Encore is a small JavaScript library, which is is trying not to reinvent the wheel, but just make it easier to use Webpack. So if you use Webpack, you're basically, uh, Webpack is just, um, uh, it has a configuration format where you basically say, go look at these files, do these processing on them, and output them over here. Um, and so Encore just makes that a little bit simpler. You have a kind of a nice pretty API which says load these files, do these processings, and output them over there. So it's something that you can use in your project today. Um, I love using it. Of course, I'm biased. Um, but but uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be something where... <clears throat> we hopefully can empower many symphony developers to actually do really cool front end stuff 
without needing to spend like two weeks learning how to set all that new stuff up, which is, which is what we really want to avoid. So, so it's basically helping you to install and configure Webpack and you have a nice API around it. Or That's it. Nice, yeah. Yeah, and we're not trying to you know do anything crazy that Webpack doesn't do because those are the best tools. So let's let those best tools do their job and we'll just kind of make life a little simpler. Yeah, and I also like that it's actually, it's not very, it's not that integrated into Symfony. It's quite standalone. It's it's basically it's a JavaScript library. It's not it's not a Symfony component or something like that, uh, which means that in um, I don't know, uh, six weeks when Webpack is out of date in the front end world. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's going to be Magnus' new library. That's, he's going to take over the world with Webpack 2. That's Webpack 2 already exists. A Webpack uh, 3. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> that, that, that's a no, beta. But, no, but but to to be to be uh, to be obviously it's possibly not going to happen within the next six weeks. But there is a the JavaScript world does does tend to move like a million miles an hour. So uh, if something comes to replace Webpack, it's uh, certainly um, still easy to 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 handle that. It's not like we're we're painting ourselves into a corner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 something that it's not. What can I say here? It's your code, your front end code. If even if something were to totally change, your front end code is still going to be your front end code. So yeah, in theory, if something else took over the world in like two weeks, um, yeah, you're not really that tied into this stuff. You didn't put uh, you didn't put that much work into getting it set up in the first place because Encore yeah. makes things really easy. So life should be good. And yeah, and it, it's yeah, not. Like, but also, really, you it, haven't. You haven't tied your backend code to how you're ah, handling, yes. which you did with asset with with aesthetic. You tied your backend code to how you're handling your frontend assets, which is no longer the case, and that's that's great. Yeah, yes, and, and yeah. that's and that's something that, that aesthetic did because you were you were taking backend server PHP tools to solve a frontend problem, um, and so that's what I like about you know we were talking earlier before the before we get on about how you know people were talking about, hey, hey, you know, and it's like, sometimes you just need to know from a basic point of view, okay, here's how I can get into this, and then you can go anywhere from there. But that's the way I see Encore, is Encore is just a guidepost, you know, hey, New York is this way, you know, and um, and instead of just forget about it, you know, for, uh, forget about it and going back and doing whatever you would have done before, it lowers the barrier of entry into getting into the more serious front-end development if you're doing Symphony back-end stuff. Yes, that, server -based stuff. well said. Yes, lower the barrier to entry so that you can you can you as you you can you can be dangerous on the front end now, Magnus. Yeah, <laughs> specifically you. We built this for yes. you. Yes, thank you, thank you, Ryan. Uh, how how, um, how well integrated into Symphony is this? Or I mean, or, or how does a Symphony application benefit from this more than a, n a normal PHP application? It, it 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 basically doesn't. It's not totally true. So the good thing is you can use this on any project. So of course, it's really for you know we made it for the Symphony community, uh, but you can use it on any project in any language. So um, yeah. you know you can find your old Cold Fusion project and and put put some Node.js in there. All right. You know, modernize it. Uh, but the there's Finally. only there's one small integration point which is which is really nice and. Um, 
and it has to do with the asset uh, versioning strategy. It's not something you deal with in Symfony. A lot of people don't deal with. But there's actually a way in Symfony to say uh, with configuration how you want to version your assets so that, you know, like when you update your main.css, maybe you want it to have like question mark V equals three on the end of all your URLs so that your cache busts. That's something that's inside of Symfony. We added a new versioning strategy in Symfony 3.3 called the JSON manifest version strategy. Without getting too far into the details here, um, basically that's a small hook point where you point Symfony at a certain JSON file that's output by Encore. And by doing that, you can configure um, uh, CDN support and like really cool asset versioning uh, just in Encore. So basically you can say in your Encore file, you know what, I wanna have all of my assets be versioned. So every asset's now going to get a unique hash in its file name that only changes when the contents of that file change. But of course, uh, how do uh, your- Automatically? Automatically, yep. Cool. And so how do your templates though, does that mean I need to go into my templates every time and like update the hash in my base.html twig? And you don't because that version strategy is reading a JSON file that maps uh, kind of the original file name main.css or whatever to whatever its hashed version is. So you can do everything in Encore, say I magically want to turn on versioning and, and nothing changes inside Symfony. So there's not a lot of integration, but there's that one point of integration which makes things really, really nice. Yeah. Is that is that an well, integration cool. that is like built into how Symphony would look at it? So it's kind of Encore aware without Encore being aware of it. Yeah, of, that's of yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Symphony is okay. looking for a manifest JSON file. Uh, it doesn't. So it's sort of Encore aware. It knows that Encore would. Uh, you know, need, that, that needs to be there, and Encore is what put it there. But Encore has no idea that Symphony exists and doesn't need to. And the nice thing about that JSON manifest strategy thing is. Um, it's kind of a standard thing. So um, even if you weren't using Encore or, or weren't using Webpack, but instead you were using something like Gulp, well, they solve that versioning problem the same way. You know, they like they say, hey, we'll we'll dump a JSON file that has a map from your original file name to your hashed file name. Um, so so even if you're using Gulp, you could dump that JSON file and use Symfony to you know integrate with your Gulp or whatever. So it's a lot of like kind of like decoupled standalone pieces, but they're working together really nicely. Uh, yeah, that sounds lovely because yeah. versioning your assets, it's a, that's a pain. That sure is a pain. If you don't want to version all your assets at once. Yeah, that was one of the problems with uh, this kind of original stock yeah. uh, Symphony asset thing. It was like you, you had a version strategy, but you had to bust your cache on all of your assets, even yeah. if only you know one of them changed. Yeah. I don't ever like busting my cache for anything. <laughs> I'm very lazy. Anyhow, about enough about front-end development. <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm getting sick of it already. <laughs> <laughs> Magnus, man, you were so quiet. <laughs> yes, yes. Magnus, take us further. Uh, so that's so talking about the exciting new stuff that's, uh, I would say this is sort of on the road to Symphony 4, which is very nice. Um, but but uh, the real parts of, of coding are still being done in the back end. And... Um, Wow. <laughs> yes, yes. That's some shade, uh, maybe. Some yeah. shade. Um, and and uh, one thing in the back end that I, that I think is pretty interesting and that I wanted to talk to, to, uh, to you all about uh, is uh, event sourcing. What's that? Yes, that, that's a good question. And I'm actually not an expert on event sourcing, which is why we have a guest on this podcast. Everyone, welcome Bo Siemensen. 
Hello, how's it going? Hey, hey Bob. How are we doing? Doing all right. Enjoyed the discussion on the front-end development and the shade <laughs> being passed around. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so who, who is who is Bo? Uh, Bo is um, currently a technical product manager for Sensio Labs. So I've been getting more involved in the Symphony community, even more so than I had been in the past. Sort of, uh, if you've ever heard me talk about it, I usually say I'm Symphony adjacent. Um, I've worked a lot in Silex and Twig and a lot of uh, a lot of the Symphony components, but haven't really done a whole lot with like Symphony Core in the past. So. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm getting a chance to start to work with more uh, Symphony-related code. Uh, really excited about Flex coming out, Symphony 4. Um, I'm spending most of my time uh, introducing people to Blackfire, which has been a lot of fun for the last year. And uh, and Bo, also, um, if you like the new dependency injection, auto-wiring, auto-registration changes in Symphony 3.3, you can, you can thank Bo in part for prodding us for some of those changes. And if yes. you don't like those, then, then just leave them alone. <laughs> Okay, he's, that's, a nice, uh, he's a nice guy. Well, I could take well, it. I could take it. Yeah. That's true. And I actually, on that particular subject, because we discussed it last episode, and uh, I was uh, beginning to fall off the fence onto the pro, uh, the pro auto wiring squad. Mm-hmm. I'm now firmly entrenched in the pro auto wiring squad. <laughs> awesome. It's uh, <laughs> it's been so it's, it's it's so great. It's a game changer. It, I, it is. Um, I actually have. I think my the the talk the most recent time I gave a talk on it was uh, DrupalCon Baltimore, and I think that talk's online. So if anyone wants some encouragement to hop over that fence, uh, maybe we can put it in the show notes. I don't. Do, do you do show notes? We do. Like yes. That? Yeah. We um, don't show anyone though. <laughs> nice. They're just for uh, us. <laughs> but yeah, the the you know once I think I think there are some people who will always be uh, on the other side of the fence on that. But you know, I, I it took me a long time to actually come around to it, and once I did, I was like, this is making my life so much easier. Um, and with Symphony being able to do it with a compiled container uh, means that you don't suffer any of the the uh, downsides that a lot of the other implementations have, because a lot yeah. of the other uh, container implementations end up doing reflection at runtime to kind of mm. solve this problem. Uh, but Symphony finally has a way to do it that actually works with the compiled container or the dumped container, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And looking at like the way it's done in, say, Symphony 3.2, uh, that's not something I would have used. But now in Symphony 3.3, it's so um, it's it's so easy and it makes everything easier. It's uh, it's great. Yeah, it's pretty uh, cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, event sourcing. What is it? I think it would be interesting to get everybody else's take on it because everybody, it seems like everybody has sort of heard of it, but they aren't really sure what it is. It'd be kind of fun to, to sort of go around the table and see what people think. Yeah, it's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of sales board, I believe. I mean, do you do CQRS? Do you do event sourcing? And I, for some time, thought they were pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been taught it's two different things, but one could benefit from the other. Um, and uh, what, I, what I assume event sourcing is that you pretty much put every database right into a separate log file somehow, and then you, so you can read the back, you can have your, your history of your database. So you can mm. actually play your database and go back and forth in time. That, yeah, is, my, that is my take. Yeah, so um, like one of the things that uh, some people will sometimes point out is that if you're using something like MySQL, um, in a lot of ways, the, that's that sort of an event store. 
as well. You know, the, the, the way that it stores the journals, it keeps track of everything that happens um, to a certain extent until you start deleting. I think some of the deletes are actually final. Um, but yeah, so it, it, is, it is sort of similar to kind of what's going on behind the scenes with some of the databases anyway. Um, it's just sort of bringing it up, up, up front and letting you actually sort of uh, interact with that whole experience as like a, a part of your actual domain or a part of your actual application uh, rather than uh, relying on the, the database to sort of like abstract all of that from you. That Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing because I'd never thought of it like that. Um, but most of the most of what I know about is just reading the, the high-level descriptions by like Martin Fowler and Greg Young, guys like that. Mm. Um, but the way that I see it is it's, it's, you're, you're mutating change through, through events. So everything yeah. comes through an event instead of just like maybe a plain command or like a controller call or whatnot. So, um, and it's one of those weird things you, you mention it and people just, whenever I first heard it, I was like event sourcing and then they would describe it. And I'm like, how, like the, the title seems completely abstract from what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it seems more like an, you know, uh, like uh, aggregate aggregate history or aggregate logging or I mean it seems like there'd be a, a more descriptive name than event sourcing but I mm -hmm. once you understand it you go okay I see it's because everything that's changing something is you know has a time and a place in which it did it mm -hmm. um, and so you're 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 it's kind of like the way you organize your mind to think about the process I guess from a high level mm -hmm. yeah I yeah, I would. I'm, I'm. I'm not exactly sure how I think about it. I mean, uh, there's some factors like, like um, state changes in your application is done or actually communicated exclusively through events, and events, of course, are intentional. Uh, they actually they they actually tell you specifically what's happening in your application. It's not just. It's not just uh, some data changed. It's specifically like I rescheduled my dentist appointment, um, and um, right. And, and is that is that like it, it's not that the appointment changed? Is it's the the the, uh, the well the thing event about itself? It, yeah, the event is... itself is the state change, and yeah. then you might have like like if you want to actually store data in a um, in, in a database for easy access in your web front end or something, uh, you might store a projection of that data. And when your dentist appointment gets rescheduled, you might have a dentist appointment projection uh, that updates because your dentist appointment was changed. Uh, but the the actual um, the, the actual authoritative store of any changes to your state is the event from what i understand yeah yeah the 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 authority uh the uh, source of truth is the stream of events for a given identity which yeah. is which is i think it's pretty much what you were saying it's not actually yeah. an individual event um it's it's more the the stream of those events but yeah, it's yeah. kind of kind of subtle difference there yeah. but what does the event itself hold the event itself holds the it doesn't hold the what it was before and after. It holds it as that projection at that moment, right? Right. So the the, mm. the event needs to to contain all of the information to convey uh, what that state change was. So if you want to say you know, to use the uh, appointment uh, 
appointment rescheduled event, for example, would probably need to have um, some sort of way to associate itself with a specific an appointment. So you'd probably have, say, an appointment ID. Um, you'd probably want to have the uh, the new uh, scheduled time on it. Um, and that, that might be all you would need in order to be able to accurately reflect that change. Uh, but one of the things that is common in most of the event systems is that uh, the identity part is very important. Uh, that usually represents the entity or aggregate that you're actually dealing with. So the event usually has to have at least that information uh, so that you can make sense of it later and say, well, you know, if you end up with a, uh, an appointment uh, rescheduled event and it only has the time in it, I don't know what, you, you wouldn't have much that you'd be able to do with that. So you always need to have uh, the everything uh, that is related to that particular change um, that is new information that can be, then be used um, to rebuild the state later. So that um, if you re rebuild the state all the way from the beginning of time, that object is gonna know exactly, or so in this case, the appointment perhaps is going to know exactly what the most recent scheduled time is based on all of the events. Uh, you know, the, the, the initial uh, appointment scheduled event uh, when the appointment is actually created would probably have the time that the person picked when the appointment was, scheduled, was originally scheduled. Um, so then you would, at that point in time, the aggregate knows that's the value uh, for the, when the appointment should happen. And then when it later sees an event that is uh, appointment rescheduled with a new value, that is when you would see the, uh, the state of that object, but then know that it has the new scheduled date um, that it should be working with, not the old one. And from what I understand, it's actually considered best practice, or at least, I mean, you wouldn't include a projection in your event. It's... Correct. You would basically just, it's, it's best practice basically to have your dentist appointment or something like that be represented by just the ID of the appointment. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you would, if it, anything that needs other data, I mean, obviously has it before. So um, do, do we see that, uh, do we, I mean, I tend to think of each one of those events as like a frame. Do we see that as a stream of frames? that gives us, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be time-based. I mean, there, we, somebody, I assume you could look at it from some other point of view, you know, that it's just depth of some type, but is an event, is it yeah, so, accurate to call it an event stream? Yeah, it, it, it is an event stream. So each event is going to be represented on that stream. So order is important um, in that case. So you, you have to start from the beginning of the event stream and mm -hmm. read until the end in order to get the full state of the object, of the uh, aggregate at any given time. Um, the, you're using the word frame and the way that I'm interpreting that is that you're looking at slices, like you're taking a snapshot of what are all of the properties in the object at each frame. Um, is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like the, you're looking at it as, you know, the aggregate at that moment as you step through. So if you were to have the beginning when you have no state and then the end where you have the, the current state, mm -hmm. as you go through that you can, I mean, it, the way I visualize it is I see it as a series of square frames where each, each event is placing you within that stream. So I just tend um, to think of those as frames. Yeah, no, the, each, each event is only going to attain the information to um, convey the intent of that event. So mm -hmm. if the uh, event that, that is triggered by rescheduling an appointment, um, that event would be, say, uh, reschedule appointment or appointment reschedule or whatever it is that you want the um, 
uh, the event to actually be called, it's only going to contain the information required for that particular state change. It's not going to care about anything else uh, within that aggregate. It's only going to care about that particular operation or that intent that happened um, or the, the result of the intent that was, was executed. So um, this is the other thing about the, the, uh, the idea of the events is that they should be um, thought of as facts that have happened in the past. So these are things that have happened. Um, so, you know, it, the, the way that you think about it, need to think about it is that these are the things that happened in this order to this aggregate root yeah. or, the, or to this aggregate. So it makes yeah. sense. So, so really you're, you're seeing like a subset of a picture where if you're looking at it from the side, you're just seeing pieces of it. But if you look at it head on, looking at the stream <laughs> directly at it, you're seeing the accumulation of all those pieces. Correct. I think yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. So, so how do you achieve this in practice? I mean, do you, um, whenever you read from database, you don't read all the events, right? And correct. how do you store the events? No. <laughs> Go ahead, Vegas. Well, you wouldn't usually read the event stream like ever, unless you're doing some sort of like database maintenance or something. Yeah, naturally. Usually, you would have projections. So, say you have a um, a website where you can see uh, where you can look up your dentist appointment, and it shows you at what time your dentist appointment is and which dentist you're booked with and like the location of his office. Um, in that case, you would have a projection, which would be like a, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like site dentist appointment projection or something, which would be updated every time you get one of those events. So you would have like a, a, uh, an object in your database which stores the current projection of the, the state of the system. So whenever an event happening, I'll update my projection. Yes. Correct. Uh, good, simple enough. So, yeah, yes. so, and, and the other idea there is that each projection may uh, only want a subset of the events. So you might have a, a calendar projection that is only looking for the initial uh, appointment, uh, appointment scheduled event. So then it would be able to take the appointment ID and put the uh, scheduled time on it. And then it might also listen for appointment rescheduled. Um, that would have uh, the same ID, so it, it would look up inside the project, inside the um, calendar projection, um, the value of the or, or the current row for that ID, and then update it with the newly rescheduled value. Um, and then maybe appointment canceled uh, would actually go in and delete that row uh, with that ID. So that even though we might have other things like change, um, maybe say uh, uh, assign different dentist is one of the, the methods on the, the aggregate route. Um, that's going to have an event that, that gets triggered that you might not pay attention to in the calendar because the calendar might just be interested in times and, and, calendar and appointment IDs. So uh, well, not fair. every event has to be subscribed to by all of the projections. Is the I think it's one of the, one of the important things to sort of wrap your head around is that you're database is no longer the source of truth for what's what's happened in the system. So your database is simply updated to reflect a change that's already happened in, in your system. Yeah. So it's just it's not a source of it's not the, the, the authoritative source of information on on what's happened anymore. No, fair. Um, I, I, I think it's also I think it's also important to note that this is where we start drifting into CQRS territory. Uh, when we start talking about projections and whatnot, if we're talking strict uh, event sourcing, 
without CQRS, um, in those cases, you would actually load up the object from the event store, uh, make changes on it or get values from it or whatever, and then uh, flush any of the changes that have been made to the object back out to the event store. So it would add any new events that had been recorded. Um, so th th this idea of projections and that sort of thing really starts to, to wander more into the territory of CQRS, uh, which is you know segregating the, the right side, which would be event sourcing, uh, from the read side, which would be uh, the like the read models and the projections and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do you do this all this in Userland, so you basically have um, no normal PHP events, and that they update the production uh, projection and also stores themselves in the document store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, like, there's probably a couple of ways you could do that. Uh, most of the event stores that I've seen. Um, at least on the PHP side, the, the goal is to convert those objects or transform those, uh, not the objects, but the, uh, the information within an event into JSON um, and then stored it or send it somewhere so that it can be stored. Um, and then um, deserializing those uh, same JSON objects back into PHP events, so back, back into PHP objects. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the way it, it, it is. Uh, because you could just as easily um, consume the JSON objects as well uh, without actually converting them back to PHP. But the general idea is that those events would somehow be stored somewhere um, and then something would have to be responsible for taking them and then putting them back into uh, the objects, whether they be the, the actual aggregate objects or um, going through like the projection system and then creating read models. Uh, okay. Um, how, do you, how do you handle concurrency? <laughs> if, if two, two requests want to update the schedule at one time, at the same seconds, what, 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 what do you think? Eventually, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it becomes eventually consistent, hopefully. Um, so th this is where things start to get a lot more complicated within the event sourcing yeah, it um, world. It sounds a bit simple, so I... Yeah, I mean, from, from the very basic um, uh, point of view, is you're, anytime you create... Um, a, an object and hydrate it from an event stream. Um, it has uh, a notion of what its current version is and what its version is could be as simple as the number of events in, this, in the object at that time. Um, so let's say there's 15 events that have been um, uh, execute 15 events that have been generated on that object based on the different uh, mutator methods on that uh, aggregate. When it gets hydrated again, it knows that it has 15. So if you do three more op operations on that object, when you then sync those uh, addition, or when you try to append those three new um, uh, event objects onto the event stream for that particular object, it will also send along that its current version was 15. So when it tries to insert it, it's actually going to try to make versions 16, 17, and 18 for those three objects. If someone else has already committed um, changes to that object from a different thread or whatever, um, or a different request, and it already has uh, version 16, then it means that the, the change that you've just made is going to fail. So it's actually going to uh, throw an exception, or the event store is going to throw an exception that it's uh, 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 what is it? Optimistic con concurrency ex exception, or, or whatever strategy you're, you're using. That's the one that I think I've seen most often. Where it'll actually be able to say, you know what, you're trying to do something with this object, but in the day or in the in the event store right now, um, it's already um, used these versions up. It's already used version 16. And you're trying to create 16. 
it can't trust that it can just append those three events onto that event stream because something that uh, happened on the other thread might have might have made those events now um, invalid and it would put the, the object into an inconsistent state. So it sends an exception that you can then catch and say, oh, we can't do this anymore. Uh, and then it leaves you the ability to do something on the user land side to say, okay, uh, this, this was already saved. Do you want to update and merge your changes or whatever? That leaves you on the, the UI side uh, that Magnus doesn't want to deal with uh, to try and figure out how you handle those sorts of conflict situations. Uh, okay, so basically it doesn't handle concurrency. It, it, it fails. Well, yes. I mean, it, it handles concurrency in exactly the same way as, like, like um, it, it's a very common scheme of handling concurrency to do it like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no and, I, 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 I was also trash talking. No. Yeah, no, no that's, uh, that's fine. So, um, what are the, you know, there's obviously something this, this complex, there's a naive way of looking at it. Um, and then there's the, you know, I guess the pro way or advanced way or, or whatnot. But, uh, how how did you start into it and um, doing event sourcing? Like, wh why why did you get interested in doing it in the first place? Um, so I think the biggest reason was the the uh, domain driven design, uh, the implementing domain driven design book talked about event sourcing. I had no clue what it was, um, and it's uh, I've been trying to do DDD things since like two thousand three and failing miserably because most of the time I'm, you know, most of the time since then um, I was kind of working in isolation, so I didn't really have a chance to. Uh, talk with other people or anything like that, um, but but I still enjoy it and still been uh, trying to learn as much as I can. Um, and this started uh, this book started talking about event sourcing, and I didn't really get it at first. Um, and then I saw, um, uh, I think it would look like it might even have been like a lightning talk uh, series from um, uh, Math Mathias Verace. Yeah, pronounce his name. Um, I feel bad. I, I always have a hard time with people's names. That I only ever see their Twitter handle. I don't, I don't get to hear it. Um, Fun fact: That's one of the names that Tobias has had most difficulty pronouncing on this show. So that's uh... <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and he had um, a fancy Texas accent. Nobody would care. <laughs> he has. Uh, um, he has a really great style of like like teaching these sorts of things. And um, this was a, a just a really quick. Like it, it was way shorter uh, set of slides than I would have expected for this topic, uh, but it was presented in such a way that it immediately clicked for me. Um, and I realized that uh, one of the things that I'd been pretty much avoiding the entire time I was doing domain-driven design was dealing with any sort of um, uh, domain events and realizing, at looking at this, that domain events would probably be a good way to sort of get around a lot of the problems that I've had uh, trying to do modeling with like um, your more traditional ORMs. Like uh, like I did a lot of work with Hibernate. I've done some work with Doctrine. Um, this sort of trying to build a an object model that is somewhat agnostic from the underlying uh, database structure um, so, to the point where you don't even have to worry about the DB structure anymore. And I'm not even talking something like going with like a document store where you can make whatever structure you want. Um, actually communicating about your object um, with discrete objects that describe what you're doing. Uh, so you, you don't ever really care what the, the actual attributes are or how those are going to be persisted on any sort of data store because they aren't. Um, all, all you have to work with are the um, the events that are generated. So seeing that uh, really got me excited. So I started working a little bit with one of his projects that he started out as like a, an example that was based on, um, or that uh, the example that his talk was based on, which was called Buttercup Protects, 
which was kind of like a standalone little implementation of event sourcing uh, and CQRS ideas um, that were sort of created for the purpose of um, that talk, I believe. Um, and then he actually started working on another project called Event Centric, which was going to be a uh, probably would have been one of the earliest PHP uh, implementations of event sourcing in CQRS. So I started looking at that and trying to build some projects around it. Um, and that's kind of that's kind of where I started uh, at those sorts of places. So there wasn't a lot of docs. There was a lot of having to uh, t you know talk to people directly to figure out how these things work. Uh, things have matured quite a bit since then. There's two two major projects that I know of. Um, there's probably um, a handful of others now as well, but um, the big ones that I know of are is Broadway, uh, which is a, a probably the first like production-ready mature um, event sourcing and CQRS uh, library that was put out for PHP community. Um, and then uh, a little more modern one is uh, Proof, and that one the the I feel like the methodology and, and the ideas and the philosophies between these two projects are very different. Um, Broadway is more geared for uh, what they built the, the product for, or what they built the library for. And they had a very simple model, I would say. Um, so it's uh, they have a more Symphony mindset. A lot of the developers there are Symphony developers. Um, and they have like a bare bones really works well, but doesn't have a lot of frills. So like if you're looking for really advanced uh, event sourcing ideas or concepts, they're probably not going to be uh, in Broadway. Uh, on the other hand, the proof people, uh, they, it looks like they tend to be more Zen framework style approach. Uh, most of their packages come out with Zen framework before they would come out with the Symphony version, um, at least at least when I was paying attention to it more over the last, like maybe like a year to a year and a half ago. Um, and their stuff is all like very bleeding edge. Uh, like I think they're already on version two. No, they're already in version six on some of their components. Uh, so they're making a lot of breaking changes, like moving fast and breaking stuff. Whereas I think Broadway is just now getting to the point where they think they're 1.0 is stable, um, unless they are already. And I missed the notice, but they're they're moving a lot more slowly than the proof team is. So if you want cool things like snapshots and um, I don't know. A lot. It, they, they have a lot of different ideas for things that they're they're trying to implement in, in the proof side of things. So if you're looking for cool stuff, cutting edge proof is probably the way to go. If you're looking for something stable that will do the job for you really well, um, I would say uh, something like Broadway would be better. Um, so yeah. So in my experience, I actually worked with Broadway. I've only looked at proof from a high level. I haven't actually worked with it. Um, I've just been like watching the development happen and kind of like following along in some of their chat channels um, and just seeing kind of the things that they're working on. So seeing that it's a fairly sophisticated approach to, to doing something that requires, you know, if, if, if you're learning, is that something where you would encourage somebody to start off with Broadway or is there, if you're, uh, if you're just trying to get some time under the hood kind of thing, should you start with the, with proof and struggle through it maybe more? And to get a better benefit, or are you better off just going with something that may be a little bit more easier for you to recognize? Um, you know, I don't know, actually. I think it probably depends on the person. Um, I know for me, the best way that I learn is to copy stuff. Um, it's not even using libraries in some cases. Um, so I would say that it, in, in that case, it was a lot easier for me to follow what was going on in Broadway um, because uh, it was very, it was a lot more simple about what was going on. Um, whereas the proof stuff, there's a bunch of components. You'd have to know, learn a lot more upfront to start to use it. Um, but 
I, I could be totally wrong on that. It's possible that they have, uh, I think they have like a starter project or something where you can install some things and then it just works. Um, I know they have like a demo application where I don't think Broadway has one of those. So I think, I think it kind of depends on how you like to learn um, as to what you would do. Um, just knowing that the, um, the stability of Broadway could be important for some people uh, where I, I know that even with as stable as Broadway was uh, about every two or three months, something would break. <laughs> uh, cause, you know, they hadn't done 1.0 yet, so they were still able to do that. Um, whereas I, I don't know if I would be able to handle uh, breaking changes every, every two months on something um, like uh, proof where they're like making major changes to multiple components. And, you know, I, I think it could be kind of difficult if you're just trying to learn and you get, get broken. I remember trying to learn rails. I think it was between two and three where nothing worked. <laughs> like I try to jump into that, that ecosystem just to install uh, Redmine or something and, and absolutely nothing worked. Um, so th there could be a little of that with proof, but uh, they have a really great community. I think they're on Gitter. I think that's, uh, at least they were uh, like six months ago, they were on, on Gitter and they have a pretty good community of people in there that are uh, talking about their experiences, asking questions about how to do certain things. Uh, so I think that if, if you're in for, in, into that and want to really um, get deep into something, um, getting involved in that community could be pretty good. So uh, to, uh, to follow up on the, on the kind of, if you want to get your feet wet in this, if I, if I don't know a lot about this, but, but I'm interested, maybe I want to use it. What's, What's the biggest reason to look into all this stuff? Like, oh, if you, if you have this requirement, or if you're interested in this, or if you want to be able to accomplish this, then then definitely look into it. Or or maybe the opposite. If you, if you don't, if you're not worried about this, this, or this, then then maybe maybe don't bother. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part, especially for developers. I know for me anyway. Um, like if something looks new and shiny, it becomes my my golden hammer for a little while. Um, <laughs> And it's definitely a trap that you can fall into with event sourcing because uh, if you start to look at everything as events, which I think you start to do once you start dealing with event sourcing and see how everything works, um, it can become kind of difficult to just think about CRUD <laughs> after that and uh, you know dealing with uh, Active Record or you know um, anything like that. It, it just starts to kind of infect the way that you think about design, and th there is definitely a, a uh, cost to doing things with event sourcing. Uh, we haven't even touched on some of the difficult things that that people generally come up with, like, oh, how do you do migrations? It's like, oh, how do yeah, you do migrations? Cool. Yeah, how do you do <laughs> migrations? Or because uh, that's you know, the first validate. question that yeah. when somebody really thinks about it, they go, wait, hold on a second, what if yeah. you have to change stuff? Like, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the general idea is that uh, the event store, um, the event store should, or the event stream should be immutable. Um, so that once you create an event, it's in the system forever. Um, you can eventually delete an entire event stream if you want to, but going back in and say cherry picking an event and changing it um, doesn't work well because if you have something built around it like CQRS where you have a, you know 300 uh, different projections looking at that event stream, though that only works because they only look at the newest events as they come out. Um, mm -hmm. They're not gonna have any way to know that, oh wait, you, you changed an event that we processed three months ago. It just doesn't work that way. So you end up with a lot of uh, ability to uh, kind of paint yourself into a corner. So, um, so as far hey, as, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I just wanna ask a quick question. Is that, is that then saying that you never like project up to a certain point and then prune? So if you're going to get into event sourcing, you're in it for the long haul. Like you're, 
Well, well, projections aren't aren't impossible to change because you can always replay your event Correct. stream. Well, I'm talking about getting grit, like rolling up to a certain point and then saying 30 days, we're only going to keep events for 30 days, so we need to pull everything up to a certain point. Like it almost sounds like you're saying, Bo, that you're going to hold on to those events forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, they are the source of truth. The, those events are what you need. Um, so you can't you know, trim them. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. There, there mm. are some things that you can do. Uh, one of the, the things that you can do if you're doing straight event sourcing is uh, something called snapshotting, uh, where every, you could, you could, there's different ways, different um, styles you could do it. But let's say every 100 events uh, for a given object, uh, it can create a snapshot event that will um, sort of be more like the frame that you were discussing earlier, where it contains all of the state of the object at that point in time. Um, so that uh, when you're rebuilding the objects, instead of having to go all the way back, you know, six years ago and read in three million changes to that object, you might only have to read back, you know, a week, um, and then read the the last five events since then. So you'd you'd use that snapshot event to sort of uh, prime the the object to be in the state that it was, you know, six days ago, um, and then it'll replay those uh, those remaining events. Um, to kind of get it back into its final state of where it is now. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you would then lose or remove the events before that snapshot. Uh, because there's a, the, one of the great advantages of event sourcing is being able to look at these changes over time. Um, you could actually use this to say, um, it's something that you couldn't do in a, in a relational database would be, who all changed their address last October? You couldn't yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, if you have an event store, you could actually query your event store to say, um, show me all of the events that, uh, show me all of the um, uh, address, uh, or no, uh, person moved events um, that happened um, last October. And you'd be able to get a list of all of those and you'd be able to look at those events and say, oh, now I can get the, la the, the actual people who moved last October really easily. So this, this information is, is super powerful. Um, and this is one of the main benefits or reasons people might want to do event sourcing is to be able to have that whole um, uh, log of changes. And it's, it's, if you had just said, um, uh, what, what you would be doing in the database would just be update address to new address. You don't, you lose context, you lose the temporal nature of that event happening, you lose the uh, intention, like why did they move? You might have several different types of events that talk about uh, a person moving and you would be able to uh, give that extra information by using different events to do the same thing. Maybe it's a uh, person moved, maybe it's a uh, uh, person's uh, address, uh, person's forwarding address change or something like that. They're like different types of events that could, could sort of uh, end up changing the same property, but for different reasons. Uh, I can't yeah. think of any good examples right now, but well, that's why you would want to have an well, event Well, if you, yeah. if you I change mean, the history. address name, you say you change the street name. <clears throat> the person hasn't actually moved, but the street has gotten a new name. Uh, that sometimes happens in the real world. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, so in, in that case, there could be different, uh, I mean, it depends on how in-depth you want to go. You, can, you could just say that that's still a person addressed, or a, a person moved, um, event, uh, but you might also have like adjustment events as well. I know that's yeah. one of the things like in the accounting world, uh, sometimes you have to have adjustment events. Um, yeah. So like, uh, I know like when I'm reconciling my my funds coming through uh, zero, uh, like if I get a Stripe payment, that Stripe takes money out um, and it, it does it in a way that it isn't easily, uh, uh, 
there isn't an easy way to track that. So the way that I have to do that is I have to select the actual payment that I got, uh, the invoice that it was actually paid for, then I have to add an adjustment record, which is really an adjustment event to say that, oh, th by the way, there was money here that, that isn't uh, represented anywhere in the system that needs to be applied to this specific account. Um, you know, that a lot of the ways that the event store stuff works or the event sourcing stuff works is the, is the same way that accounting packages work as well uh, because those are all based on journal entries. Nothing, nothing happens in any of the accounting software that isn't recorded as a journal entry. Uh, I was about to ask about that. I mean, except for banking and accounting, which applications should, could benefit from this or why, why should we use it except for the statistics you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, um, so, yeah, so it, it is a really good um, use case to use this for anything within accounting, um, anything that requires auditing that might extend beyond just simple logging. So maybe like healthcare. Yeah, um, most of us not doing accounting. Well, well, it's not necessarily just accounting. Anything requiring extensive audits, audit logs, basically what happened and when did it happen and who did it, um, stuff like that. But how about your dentist application? What's that? <clears throat> How about your dentist application we you mentioned before? We, yeah, we, uh, we so, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I will be the first person to say that it's not for every application. Um, so I think that's something that most people who talk about event sourcing talk about, but I don't think they talk about it enough that people understand uh, that you shouldn't use it for everything. And, and could, it, could it be used even for part of your application? I don't mean to interrupt, but... It right. Seems like yeah, and that's could. the other thing. It it could be. Um, it's it's really well suited for domain driven design uh, ideas like bounded context, where maybe one particular context is super important. Um, like maybe the scheduling stuff isn't important uh, for the dentist app, but maybe the levels of equipment and um, like medicines and things like that that are on hand is important. Like maybe they want to have uh, stock inventory of the the number of um, uh, uh, cavity filling containers they have um, that sort of thing where it, th that stuff might that stuff's like mission critical things that they don't want to mess up they don't want to have somebody you know getting a root canal and finding out they don't have everything they need um, on hand so like uh, one of the uh, one of the first places I tried to implement this uh, was a shop that sells uh, car parts they were they were for um, like a hobby racing. I don't know if there's something like that in other places, but basically people who are just amateur people who just like to drive fast race cars, build their own cars. And this shop sort of catered to that. And their, their big thing was that they uh, had like a semi trailer or a big uh, uh, truck trailer that had a bunch of equipment in it that they brought to the different racetracks all across the state. Um, and their problem was that they had an accounting package that, uh, was custom built for their kind of market, but they didn't have the ability to to um, track uh, uh, track inventory at more than one location. So the problem that they would have is that they, they would see they have 30 brake pads in stock of, with a certain model number, but they wouldn't know where they were because they could have been on one of either of the two trucks or they could have been in the, sh in the shelves in, in the back warehouse, or they could actually be out on the shelves for people to buy. 
So those are the sorts of things where being able to track exactly where everything is and having a good good accounting record for uh, when things get moved, uh, when things uh, get put on the trailer, uh, you know, you would actually have an event uh, put on trailer and then you'd have the trailer ID and the product ID. Um, so those are the sorts of things that you'd be able to look then and be able to build this whole, this whole um, uh, audit log showing exactly what happened, by who, uh, when, for what reason, potentially, um, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's not a small app. That's I mean, you're not going to build like a blog using event sourcing. You're going to build something that that actually needs the level of um, uh, something that leverages the benefits and the cost of event sourcing to make sure that you get that information right. Yeah, but it's not an uncommon scenario. Like, say you're doing e-commerce, and mm -hmm. it's quite useful for for your customer service to be able to see what's happening with an order. Like, it, right. If, if a customer calls in and says that, well, my order is canceled for some reason, I didn't cancel it, and uh, it, it's it's not really useful to just have a record in your database saying that, well, yes, we have a record of this order being canceled. That doesn't help you. It's more interesting to see that, well, yes, we have a record of you canceling this order on this date. Yeah, but, uh, but or, I, I could argue that you could use a log file for that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What's sure. the What's the improvement? to just logging commands and going back and saying, oh, look, there was a command that ran at this point. Like, you know, and, and I just want to put this out there. The, the thing that makes, you know, we were talking earlier about Git uh, before the call, but also um, you go into uh, uh, Google Docs and you're editing. I would think that that undo history is also uh, events forced on the back end. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, I don't know what what what, what the the uh, maybe Bo has a better a better uh, explanation, but one of the the, the main uh, pros that I would see is that if you're using event sourcing, because the source of truth is the event stream, you can guarantee that there's no missed entries. Like if you're doing logging, it's quite easy to forget to add the log statements in like one out of the several places that you will be doing logging. Whereas with event sourcing, because the events themselves are the source of truth, uh, there's no way to forget it. Yeah, it, and that's what it, domain driven a lot of times feels like to me as, as a novice looking at it from the outside, that looks like systemic infrastructure. Like you, you play things out in a way in which, you know, uh, it, it's really the way that you think about it and the way that you organize the approach to it as much as it is because you could just log it. Why, why wouldn't you want to log it? Well, if you're not running things as commands in the first place, what the heck are you logging? You know, you might be logging the, the full row on something just so you can go back and look at it, but that may not actually tell you what you want to know. Um, so it's it's as much thinking through things systemically and considering that recording events is a cross-cutting concern for some applications. So the 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 main application that I've I've actually had in production that used uh, these concepts uh, was the app that I worked on uh, a year to two years ago, and uh, it would be really easy to argue that uh, event sourcing was not a good use case um, for for what we built. Uh, the The original intention of the application was to eventually become a fintech application doing a lot of data uh, data analysis and uh, big data sort of things. Um, you know, two or three years down the road. So, you know, we wanted to put stuff in early on to sort of support where we ultimately wanted to take the application. 
Um, but even with what we were doing, one of the uh, big benefits that we saw about doing the event sourcing uh, was that we could put in um, new things after the fact. And this comes into the whole concept of logging, where you can say, I'm going to log everything that's important right now. But if you find out something later that you wanted to have logged, you'd lose that ability. Um, whereas we were able to fire up new features that would suddenly completely enrich the, the, the history of what had gone on with one of our entities uh, just by adding a new read model. And all of a sudden, brand new things would start popping up for things that had happened you know, months earlier. You mean because, so because basically you, you, everything, is, everything is in the event stream. So you said, oh, we didn't, we didn't think about the fact that we needed to, to record whenever a user changes their address. Where, and usually yep. you're like, crap. Well, oh, we can start. Yep. We can start doing it going forward, but but that data is just gone. But, but you're saying yep. with, with the last with person the event that stream, edited this was yeah, yeah, the last person that edited this. Well, who edited this file? <laughs> oh crap, we don't know. Yeah, but with event streams, you're like the data is already there, so we just need to yeah, write a little code just to just to read it out. That's uh, yep. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's that's a really fascinating uh, advantage to this. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really cool to see that actually. You know, that's one of the things that you can use to sell this concept um, in some cases where if you really think it makes sense and you want to sell it, that's always a good place to go uh, because it is it does seem like magic where all of a sudden there's data that wasn't there before that, that is there uh, because it was hidden in some events that, that had you not actually been saving all of those events, it wouldn't have worked out very well for you. Yeah. So if you want to be a hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, if you want to be a hero. On the other hand, you might as well like there's a lot of things that becomes tangibly more difficult to do once you because you because you're doing like um, because because you're doing event sourcing like validation I imagine becomes much more difficult like how how do you validate that say um, when you're moving your dentist appointment that you're not moving it on top of another appointment um, so that you're not du double booking your dentist. Mm -hmm. um, there's obviously there's I, I imagine there's solutions for it, but it's I imagine it's not quite as easy as like writing a symphony validator and just checking in your one and only model to see if it's if that time's already taken. Yep. Yeah. So I, a lot of this stuff comes into play when you when you're building big enterprise systems. I think that's the big thing is if you're if you're building something small um, that. It probably it probably is that you don't need to use event sourcing. Um, I think that if there's a business case to support the extra time and effort to put into the infrastructure uh, for specific pieces of your application to be event sourced, it makes sense. Uh, but it's not something that you should use everywhere. And like I said, I I I can be quite bad at this sometimes, where you know everything becomes an event to me. So then everything has to be event sourced, and then you end up spending you know, 15 times longer building something than you needed to because of all this other infrastructure that makes your life harder because you then have to worry about the weird migration things and all that other nonsense. Yeah. I actually have a, a link that I'm going to share that I think people uh, have maybe seen before. Um, let me... I'm going to share this in the in the screen, and we can actually put it in the, the show notes as well. As far as uh, things that can be complicated, I don't know if that's going to expand that. But if you scroll down uh, about midway, you'll see a big workflow um, diagram, and this is uh, something that I've seen before, where um, Slack published their uh, process diagram for determining when and where they should send notifications to. And you know, it, it, I'm thinking that. 
event sourcing oh. is probably something that you'd want to use once you get to the level where you're making this kind of uh, level of complexity with doing something simple. Yeah, like, it's, it's, like it's should a, I send a notification? <laughs> it's a big, yeah. big Pretty. flow with like with like 40 boxes and arrows going every different direction. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be linking it in the show notes. But yeah. how many? How many were there two weeks ago? That's what I want to know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, the, you know, if you're if you're dealing with a complex domain where it makes sense that you want to track all of this information, uh, event sourcing is a great uh, great option because it makes for really interesting modeling decisions, um, but it adds a lot of complexity because you're either going to be uh, querying the event store, which could be really slow, um, or you're going to be um, creating event source, uh, CQRS, uh, like projections uh, or read models that you're going to be dealing with. You're going to double your work. Um, it, it, it really can be something that uh, is too much for most applications. Um, and I, you know, there, there, you know, I would, it would be really easy to say, oh, you can, you can still do it really quickly. Just use Broadway and, and fire it up and it goes pretty fast. But the, 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 the amount of uh, indirection and the amount of moving pieces uh, can really be complicated and can be really hard to keep your mind wrapped around, especially if you don't have people who are super familiar with it already. Um, yeah, or like if you're on a team where yep. you actually have to, to share this knowledge somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. How, how do you handle uh, embedded objects? So say that your event contains like a JSON blob of something, some JSON mm -hmm. document or whatever. Um, is that something that stays as a historical item or, or somebody's uploaded a file? Um, yeah, I think, I think that depends. It depends a lot on what your storage, what your event persistence layer looks like. Um, uh, and it also depends on kind of like the use case there. Because, you know, if you're uploading, say, an avatar image, um, do you really need to have the avatar image itself in the event? Or do you just need the reference to where it's located um, online? You know, like if someone uploads the avatar image, then you upload it to S3, get the actual URL of where the avatar image is saved. And then you could say, you know, user arrow attach avatar image, um, and then paste, uh, and then use the URL for what you've uploaded to S3. Then the event is going to have, uh, is going to be uh, avatar attached, um, and it's going to have the user ID, and then it's going to have the URL for where that avatar lives. So, I mean, there's place, there's, there's ways that you can, can do that. Um, instead of having to store the actual avatar image in the user. Um, so I guess it depends on, on, on how complicated you're saying as, as far as the objects or the blobs, you can do it either way. Um, but it, uh, probably makes more sense to store things that aren't data, uh, or, or like, uh, state related data, um, somewhere else. And just reference that from within the uh, within the events. Is that part of the process? Like, is there pre-processing for events before they get put into the uh, the stream? Um, not really. Um, so the, the the kind of the I'm, I'm kind of not wanting to uh, like promote my own stuff too much here. Oh. I think Brian asked earlier what the best way to uh, kind of get your idea wrapped around uh, event sourcing. Um, I actually have, I've actually done a tutorial a number of times, number of times on event sourcing in CQRS. And I, I took the approach of doing what I'm saying now not to do, uh, which is to uh, use an example of blogging um, and then kind of go from a, um, uh, coming from a simple model uh, that is sort of a domain that everybody understands and showing how you can convert from a um, more of a cred-based model uh, 
iterative, iterative, iteratively uh, to a full CQ, uh, event sourcing and CQRS implementation. Um, and I think that like uh, like the question that you're asking, you know. Uh, where would you do the pre-processing processing of that? Um, I think it would become a lot more clear if you were able to look at how uh, some of these event source aggregates look. Um, generally, the idea is that all of the, the mutator methods will uh, accept just standard input. So in this case, uh, we'd be talking about just the URL as a string uh, to the, the avatar image. And then that object uh, inside that method would be the thing that generates the event. So it would record that event, and then the object itself would know how to handle that event to store it in its persistence layer. So there's no real pre-processing of events. Um, all of the event handling is handled by the aggregate root itself, or the, the aggregate or entity object that you're dealing with. Um, so it gets the data raw, just like it would like a normal PHP application would. Um, so in this case, if we're talking about uploading stuff, there might be a service that is responsible for orchestrating the um, reading and uploading and, and deploying of the avatar image to S3, um, and then taking that uh, uploaded image that we've had, um, getting the URL for it, and assigning it to the user who uploaded it. Um, so so the, is, there, the, the actual, is there a direct correlate? Sorry. Go ahead. Is, is there a direct correlation between the request data and the event data? Like nope. are you just pushing no. it straight in? No, it, it's, it doesn't even have to do anything with, with the request data. That the, the user object in this case is just going to be a user object. It's just going to get standard input, uh, standard um, like arguments, so strings or objects or whatever you pass it to it. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's coming from a request or not. Right. And this tutorial you mentioned, can we put it in the show notes as well? Is it online? Yeah, it yeah. Um, I, have, I have some... Uh, I'll, I'll send some some notes on that. There, I think there's a, a couple of them uh, that I've done now that have uh, just the slides, but the slides might be able to walk you through uh, everything uh, pretty well. Okay. Is, there, is there a good example project that where you can go in and you can see how all this stuff has been wired up? Yeah, um, I think that the uh, my my tutorial project uh, or my tutorial has a project on GitHub that goes along with it, so you could take a look at that. Um, you could also probably look at uh, I think it's Professor Do. I can't remember. Yeah. that's that's the name of it. It's the, yeah. the one from Proof, right? Yep. So if you want to take a look at Proof, there's a, a simple example. Um, I think that um, I've also seen uh, Matthias uh, Novak has a. Um, He'd done something for iBuildings training on event sourcing, and there was a project there that I saw that looked pretty interesting, uh, where he had an implementation. I think it might have been all homegrown, um, but it might have actually been using Broadway. I'm not sure. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so to summarize, event sourcing is really cool. You probably shouldn't be using it, but if you should, <laughs> it, it depends. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's that's the that's the answer every consultant loves to give. It depends. I yeah. heard it yeah. takes fourteen years to figure it out. That's all. I yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you for, for for joining us to talk a little bit about event sourcing. Sure, it was great um, to, to be on here with everyone. Yeah. So um, there's actually uh, we didn't last time we didn't talk about conferences, Not but at all. there's quite a lot of new developments on the conference front. Uh, there's, um, I, I believe the Symphony Live Paris has already been, uh, but there's Symphony Live London, there's Symphony Live Berlin, there's Symphony Live San Francisco, 
and there's SymphonyCon Romania, uh, and all of them coming up. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm gonna go to the San Francisco one. Yeah, uh, it's actually yeah, my first uh, my first Symphony Live in the U.S. Yeah, I'm hoping to go to the one in in uh, San Francisco. Actually, I've I've bought my conference ticket, but I haven't uh, yet bought flights and hotels. Because that's the expensive part. Mm, uh, yes. <laughs> the conference ticket is cheap. I mean, I can I can risk that. That's not a problem. <laughs> no, you're locked uh, in now, man. You don't have any uh, choice. Yeah. No, but but hopefully I will go to I will go to uh, to San Francisco. I'm not sure if I'll be going to Romania or not, but uh, of course we'll you see. are. That's the greatest yeah, event of, of the year. The Symphony Con is is obviously the event of the century. Uh, <laughs> Every but, year. I, I need to be I need to be sold on it first, pretty much. I'll be there. Maybe what? M- maybe maybe we should sold. maybe we should uh, maybe Thank we you. should get uh, someone from. Um, well, we already have people from Sensio Labs here now, obviously, but uh, someone from the event department to try to sell us on going to uh, to, to the conferences. <laughs> no, maybe we need. Well, I mean, you you already heard that Tobias is going, right? So, that's true. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that's a. Which I'm not sure how to. Uh, is Ryan? Are you a Tobias groupie? <laughs> I'm not sure where he's in. That's enough. That's enough for me to show up. Thank you. Okay, and I'll I'll be I'll be there. Yeah, he's coming to get his baseball glove autographed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'll be there. I don't know. I don't know much about Romania, so uh, maybe people can uh, can tell us on on twitter all about yes. uh romania sell, sell us on that yeah other people feel free to sell me as well that's uh, exactly that's, and it's not a fine. negative or a positive thing i think there's there's there we're, we're an open book on the location yes so yeah and, and currently i see a lot of tweets the that the, the symphony guys are announcing the call for papers is open yes that's good point um so make sure to submit your your, uh, your talk yeah because you probably do something that you you probably do something nobody else does. So look in your projects and find the interesting things and and uh, and be brave and and submit talks. The more the better. Yeah. Uh, so they can have really really good topics. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I uh, I think we'll we'll leave it at that. This episode of Sound of Symphony is coming to an end. The show is produced by Magnus Nordander, Tobias Nyholm, Ryan Weaver, and Jared Farish. Visit our website, soundofsymphony.com, and don't forget to subscribe on our podcast on iTunes. And thank you to our sponsors, Fervo, Happier, Camp University, and Dialogues Apps, Inc. Fervo is a symphony consulting business. Happier develops a platform for fair recruitment. Camp University provides symphony and PHP tutorials, and Dialogues Apps is a web application services company. Our music, Cool Intro and Cool Vibes, is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License, and thank you, Kevin. And Symphony is a registered trademark of Fabian Potencier in the European Union and other countries. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored by, nor affiliated with Fabian Potencier. We're back next month with more Sound Symphony. Yeehaw! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Can we outro that with some, some, some banjo? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.